what's the weirdest job you've ever had? For some of you, you might have to think back a little bit, but I'm sure there's some crazy ones in the room today. And, uh, and, I, and I don't know how far you think back. To me, I go back to high school. Uh, I once uh, worked as the guy that sold cologne when you'd walk into a mall. And so uh, I was the guy that would hand you that card and like, hey, you want to you wanna smell this? And I mean, it sounds really creepy when you describe that job to someone, but, but I was the guy that would stand there and you'd walk past me. Uh, and you're trying to get to some other store in the mall and I've got a card spray with cologne and I would try to sell you on it. And, and I loved this job as a high schooler. I had great pay, great hours, uh, just a weird job, but I really enjoyed it. But what I learned selling cologne in a mall is that you quickly learn how to read people. And you know this person is possibly into cologne or not at all, you know. And, and you have enough of those stories you're like, I'm not even going to offer you this card because I know you're not interested. And so I remember one time around the holidays, and it's, it's this mad rush, and we got these, these specialty deluxe sets that were uh, multiple different colognes in one box. And cologne is already pretty expensive, but, but you know, it was like a multi-combo set. And I remember it was like around $100, and I had like 12 of them. And I was like, hey, if you can sell these this, this Christmas season, that would be amazing. And I'm like, all right, challenge accepted. Let's see if I can sell these deluxe sets in addition just to, to the regular line. And so, you know, the, the holidays were going through, and I, I wasn't able to sell any of these things. It was just too expensive. Most people weren't on an impulse buy willing to buy something at that price point for cologne, at least. And then I remember one day, I'm, I'm standing there, and, you know, just a normal day, and, and I watch this guy walk in the doors. And it's just one of those larger-than-life people that as soon as you see him, you're just going, I have never seen anyone else like you. This guy was huge. Looked like he had not showered in quite a bit. His hair was disheveled. But the thing I remember the most is that he was wearing overalls with no shirt on underneath. <laughs> to the mall. You know, like, that's just a weird thing to me to, to wear to the mall. But, okay. And this guy comes walking in, and I'm like, wow. And I had the thought, you are not interested in cologne. You know, I don't know when the last time you showered was. So I'm not going to offer you cologne. So this guy walks past me, and I just smile and say, hey, how you doing? Don't even offer him a card. Because I'm thinking, this is not, it's, it's probably not going to go anywhere. And he stops right by me, and he says, son, what are you selling? I'm looking like, nothing you're interested in, guy. You know, like, trust me. And so I said, I'm, I'm smelling, you know, selling, smelling, I'm selling cologne, uh, you know, and he goes, well, I, I'd like to, I'd like to smell it. And so I, it's okay. And so I give him the card and he's like, that's real nice. That's real nice. Okay. And he's like, what, tell me, tell me about these sets here that you got. And he's, you know, I had them all on display and okay. And so I, you know, it's this and an aftershave and all this whole thing. I tell him the whole thing. He's like, oh, cool. He goes, how many of those do you have? That was a weird question. I'm like, I don't know, I think like 12, you know, between here and then the back. And he's like, I think those would make great Christmas gifts. I'm thinking, sir, you have no idea how much these cost. And so he's saying that, I'm like, yeah, they, they really would. They really would. And he goes, all right, I'll take them. I'm looking at him and I'm like, um, okay, well, you know, I'm try, trying to gently say to him, like, how expensive this would be to get 12 of these sets. And, uh, and I'm like, well, uh, are, are, you, are you sure you want 12? Because, I mean, this is it's going to be a lot. And then he, <laughs> I'll never forget this. He pulls out from some weird overall pocket. I don't know exactly how it works. But pulls out this wad of cash. Uh, and he's like, how much will that be? So I'm like, let's go see. And so I literally, I'm like taking all these sets over the counter. They ring them up and he just, hundreds. And I'm looking at this and I'm just shocked. I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, thank you very much, young man. Have a great day. Walks off. I'm like dumbfounded by this transaction. I literally am calling my boss. I'm like, uh, 
I sold out all of the product line. And I'm like, and you would never believe who bought it. I mean, it's like this craziest story. I mean, it was like the sell of my career. Granted, it wasn't a long career, but it was the, like that was the deal of the entire thing right there. And I think about that today as we talk about being story listeners, because I always think about this guy had a story I would have totally missed. I had no idea that this guy would have remotely been interested like he was. I just wasn't listening to him in that way. And so today we're concluding our series called Narrative that we've been in for six weeks. And we've been talking about these different aspects of stories. And so today we're going to learn what does it mean to listen to another person's story in maybe a way that we're not used to doing. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get those out. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 10. And so if you're in the New Testament, you've got a physical Bible, go to, to the fifth book in. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you get to the book of Acts and, and get your spot there in chapter 10. If you've got a, a digital uh, version of that, you've got an app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out and get your spot there. Also get your programs out, and uh, we'd love for you to do that. And I just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jeremy, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, I get a chance to be the lead pastor here. And we are so glad that you're part of this series with us. And today I want to, to dive into a story that I think uh, is a really challenging challenging story for us if we will consider uh, what it means for us today. And so in Acts chapter 10, you get the story of a guy named Cornelius. And so let me set this up before we read it. Cornelius is an outsider, okay? You have to understand, if, if you're going, hey, who's on the in crowd, you know, in the early church? It's not Cornelius. Cor Cornelius is a Roman centurion. So he works for the man, you know? And so he works for the empire, and he's in a, a regiment from Italy, so he's, he's an outsider, but he's, he's into this God that, that other people have talked about. And so he, he's become a Jew, and, and he, he's kind of into this thing, but he's not really sure what it all means, especially all this with Jesus. And so you have this guy, uh, Cornelius, who is the, the, the definition of an outsider. And then one day Cornelius was praying, and God tells him, I want you to send for a guy named Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter is the definition of an insider. He's a Jewish Christian who had been with Jesus. So Peter is the guy, if you read through the Gospels, he usually is on the front lines with Jesus in the midst of some crazy story. And so Cornelius, this outsider, gets invited to send for Peter. And so he does. And you can imagine there's going to be an interesting exchange between these two. And so Cornelius sends some people from his household to go and get Peter. Now, this is before cell phones or emails, so this is how you do this, right? You send some people from your house, you go and invite the person, and he's inviting Peter to come back to his household. And so here's where we pick up in the story. If you're with us, Acts chapter 10, we begin reading in verse 9, if you want to follow along as well. So it's about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, this is Cornelius' people, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, if you're here last week, we talked about on the roofs, they would often have, you know, grass. It was kind of like a yard. So Peter goes up on the roof to pray as they're uh, approaching. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. You ever been that hungry? You're just like dreaming about food. You're imagining it. This is Peter. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
Now, what's, what's going on here? What's this interchange here? Well, here's what you have to understand. As a Jew, okay, not as a Christian, as a Jew, Peter has rules for what he can eat and not eat. And the animals he sees in this trance, in this vision, are outside of, of what is okay. And so when God sets him eat these, he's going, whoa, whoa, I'm Jewish. I don't, I don't eat those things. And, and so he says this phrase, and this is such an interesting exchange. He says the phrase, surely not Lord. Now, if you know the words of that sentence, that doesn't make any sense. Because if you say the word Lord, what you're saying is, you call the shots. You're the boss. I do what you ask me to do. You're the Lord. But then he says, surely not. I will not do what you're doing. But not just, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I'm unable to do that. It's surely not. Like, how dare you ask me to do that? Surely not. And, and I love this because I think a lot of us have these kind of conversations with God today. Oh, surely not, God. You don't expect me to do that. Here's one thing I was challenging you with, that you don't get points for trying to be more conservative than God. <laughs> Anybody want to amen that? Yes. A little too uncomfortable, right? You don't get points for going, God, I am going to be the most conservative person you have ever seen. God's like, I didn't ask you to do that. So he's asking Peter to do something, and Peter's reply, surely not, Lord. I would never. I, I listen to some people today talk about Christianity. What's the goal of Christianity? And, and you might believe, listening to some people talk, that the goal is to be as conservative as you possibly can. And the more conservative you are, the better the Christian you are. I got news for you. That's not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is to follow Jesus. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, it's to act like him, to treat people the way Jesus treats people. That's the goal of Christianity, to become like Jesus. Now, that may mean you need to be more conservative, or maybe it means you need to be less conservative than you are. The, the, the point is, conservative is not the goal. And here, Peter is getting redirected. Peter's going, no, I know what it looks like to be a good Jewish Christian. And God goes, no, no, no I want you to do something different now. And, and Peter's beginning to, to be challenged, going, whoa, 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 surely not, Lord. And you keep reading, verse 16. This happened three times. Three times he has this trance in this conversation. Whenever you see something repeated like this, it's because God is, is trying to convince someone of it. You're not just really hungry, Peter. I'm talking to you, okay? I'm teaching you something. And, and little hint, it's not about food, okay? It's about something much bigger. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, okay, like what on earth is going on here? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to, to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now here's what you have to understand this story. When we read this, we, we just go, okay, no big deal. Peter is inviting these men in. What you have to understand is that Peter would have been very uncomfortable with this. 
so uncomfortable that God has to start to communicate to him in a trance to get him to, to be okay. And then God literally says to him, let the people in that are, are here for you. The, these men have arrived. I want you to invite them in. Peter would not have naturally done this. He, 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 was, he was beyond this. This is not what he wants to do. And it made me wonder today as I was looking at this story going, okay, how does this apply to us? Here's a question I think of is, when's the last time you felt like God asked you to do something that made you uncomfortable? Peter right now is getting put into an uncomfortable position so that he's going to learn a huge lesson in just a moment. But it begins just with being uncomfortable. When's the last time you look at your life and you go, yeah, I was really uncomfortable with that. Can you think of a time when you felt like you were uncomfortable because God was asking you to do something? So I relate with this feeling because this year has really been a year of discomfort for my wife and I. See, back in January, uh, we had this sense that God was saying, hey, it's time for you to leave your home that you've known. You leave Arizona, that you, you grew up here, you, you know people here, you're comfortable here. I want you to leave and go somewhere else. Okay, God, wh where are we going to go? I'm not going to tell you yet. Just get ready to go. Okay. So I went to the, the church I was working at and said, hey, I think I need to, to go somewhere else. And, and I said it with such a confidence that literally the question in return was, do you already have a job somewhere? No, I, I just felt like God is clearly communicating this to my wife and I, that we, we need to go do something else. Oh, okay. And I'm, then I'm thinking, well, what now? You know, I just essentially quit my job. What, I don't have anything to go to. Like, what, what am I doing now? So we started praying about it and listening and going, okay, God, what, what do you want to do here? And, and then a few months passed, still don't know where we're going yet, but then I get this sense of God saying, hey, I want you to publicly tell people that you're leaving but we don't know where we're going. Yeah, yeah, just tell everyone that you're leaving. That's, what, that's the next step of faith. Well, this is like really bad career advice, God, um, because you don't like tell everyone you're leaving until you know where you're going because then that you know, puts you in an awkward situation. And really, God doesn't know that. And so he just said, hey, I just want you to tell people. Okay, you know, i got a family to feed, but whatever, we'll, we'll just trust you. And so uh, I announced a few months later, like in March, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna be leaving. Oh, where are you going? Yeah, I don't know, just, uh, just feeling like God just prompting us and just, just stepping out. I literally had people say, you know, it's probably not the wisest thing to do that. You know, and I'm like, yeah, no, I hear you. It's just, I felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And, and meanwhile, I'm very uncomfortable because I want to be able to control this and I wasn't controlling anything. And so we're having conversations and we're looking into things and a few months pass. And we're looking at some different churches and going, okay, God, it could be this church or this church or this church or this church. You know, which church do you want us to be? Where, where do you want us to go? Then I have this conversation with a guy in Portland. And uh, he's telling me about a church. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And uh, I think maybe this is a church. And Michelle says to me, uh, you've never been to Portland. Uh, you can't be this excited about a church. I said, okay, that's fair. And so I have other conversations going. And, and so we, we spend a weekend here, just one weekend. And I, I get this sense, and Michelle as well, that we're supposed to be in Portland. And so that next week, I go back to some of these other conversations. I say, hey, I need to withdraw my name. They said, oh, did you get a job offer? No. Um, I just need to withdraw my name. And they're looking at me like, that's not the wisest thing to do until you, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I just feel like that's what God has asked me to do. Like, we're supposed to be in Portland. And, and I know that. It just, they don't know that yet. And so until they know that, you know, we're just kind of going away a little bit. And literally every step was this step into discomfort, going, I, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know what it's going to do. But here's what I would tell you. If I look back on this year now being in you know, October and going, oh, wow, it's a lot has happened since then. 
I have seen God in remarkable ways. I have experienced him in remarkable ways this year. And a large part of that reason is because I was so uncomfortable for the majority of the time. I was seeing God in fresh ways. I was listening with fresh ears because I had to. Because that was what happens when you're uncomfortable. But I wonder, how many experiences do we miss because of our fear of the unknown? How many things is God trying to do in your life that you are refusing to allow happen? Because you don't know how it'll play out and you're uncomfortable with it. See, Peter's about to have his life dramatically altered in this moment. And it begins with him being uncomfortable. Hey, there's some people coming over and I want you to go with them. Peter's going, I, I don't normally go with those kind of people. Yep, I know. There's some people coming over, they're outsiders. I know you're an insider, Peter, but I want you to go with them. But how many, how many experiences today is God trying to do in your life going, hey, just, just trust me. Just be a little bit uncomfortable. It's okay because I'm going to do something in your life. Verse 23. The next day, Peter sorted out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. He's, he's going. He's being obedient. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, and he fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius has invited all of his friends and family. He said to them, notice this is his opening line. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, in case you missed what he just said, this is quite possibly the worst intro to a sermon ever recorded, okay? Peter gets there. God has supernaturally gathered Cornelius and his household and supernaturally plucked Peter out of where he was and put him there. And Peter's opening line is, hey, I'm not supposed to be around people like you, but God told me to make an exception. <laughs> what? Hey, I don't normally hang out with your kind of people, but this one time God's asking me just to do it. I mean, like, that's the worst way possible to begin this. And, and you just see how far off Peter is from where he ultimately is going, from where God is ultimately trying to do in his heart. Peter's not there yet. See, Peter has these, these views of like there are insiders, there are outsiders, and this is how the world works. And God's going, hey, Peter, I don't, I don't see people like that. And so I need you to see them differently. That's what this whole thing with the food was. It's not about food. It's like going, hey, there's not these clean categories anymore that you think exist. It doesn't exist like that. People aren't like that. I think about the author, Carlos A. Rodriguez. He said this, when Christ died for all, he made a way so we could live for all. That takes a little bit of time, though, because Peter's not there yet. And what you see happening in Peter's life is it's beginning in stages, Right? It's just a stage. So Peter's not quite there. He's, he's getting there, and he will ultimately get there, but he's, he's not there yet. And I'm grateful for that because I don't know what your experience has been like trying to follow God, but in my life, it's happened in stages. I, I look back, and I go, man, I can't, I can't believe that. You know, I can't believe I said that. I, can't, I, I think Peter looked back years later and went, Cornelius, I cannot believe what I said to you guys. I mean, that was, that was, that was bad. I mean, I'm grateful God doesn't hold some of the dumb things that we have said against us later. You know, when we look back and go, 
Oh, I, I missed that one. I'm thankful God doesn't hold some of the dumb things I've said in a sermon against me. You know, like, hey, that made sense to me at that point, but God's going, yeah, stages, Jeremy. Just, just hang with me. I'll get you there, you know. This is how it works. And so right now, if you're going, I wish I was closer to God. I wish I got these things figured out. It happens in stages. Peter here is happening in stages. This is the way God works. And so Peter probably is going to look back on this and go, I cannot believe I said that. But right now, that's the best he understands. But watch what happens next, verse 29. Peter says, so when I was sent for, I I came without raising any objection because God told him to. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa uh, for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What a setup to tell people about God. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What a beautiful conclusion that Peter arrives at. I want you to stare at this because it's a profound thought. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. We might want to go, yeah, God, that's awesome. Here's what this means. Every nation, every group, every type of person, God doesn't show favoritism. He he welcomes everyone, which means God is going to welcome to himself people that you don't like. People that you don't resonate with. People you don't really want to be around. God's going to draw those people to himself. And and we have this idea of like, oh, it's so great that God's so powerful. Um, Is there any nation of people on earth that you don't really care for? Any group of people you don't really understand? You're like, ah, not that group. Well, guess what? God wants to accept them. He wants them to experience Jesus as well. Every nation, every type of person. And it gets to a heart issue for us because I, I can make it a little bit more personal. Is there anyone that you don't want to be saved? Anyone, any group of people or any person, you just go, I don't want them to be saved. Is there anyone you don't want to be forgiven for what they've done? Maybe for what they've done to you, for what they've done to someone else. You go, they don't deserve this. I remember when I was in high school, I had a conversation with my student pastor. And we were talking about it, and he asked me this question. Hey, is there anyone you don't want to be saved? And I was like, uh, yeah, a lot of people at my school. And he looked at me, and he's like, what? And I was dead serious. Like, there are some jerks at my school, and they don't deserve it. And he, you know, very lovingly said, well, you know, Jeremy, God's heart is for them, and God would want them to experience him as well. I remember just easily going, well, they don't deserve it. And he's like, well, you don't either. Yeah, yeah, happens in stages. I was a high schooler, didn't understand this. I did not want everyone to be saved. I wanted the people I liked to be saved. And yet there's still some of that that lingers, I think, in all of us. So we go, yeah, the people I choose, those, those are the people that are okay to be in. How, how will we ever start to see people the way that God sees them? Well, I would suggest it begins with listening. Begins with looking at someone and going, you have intrinsic value 
Because God created you and God loves you. So I'm going to listen. I'm not going to just jump to conclusions and all that. I'm just going to listen. Now, it's easy to listen to someone who agrees with you, who reinforces your opinions, who, who you follow on social media because you like, yeah, 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 this is good, this is good. It's hard to listen to someone when they disagree with you, when they challenge your beliefs, when they don't fall in line with you and you go, I'm going to mute you or unfollow you or avoid you. And we, we start to pull back because that's tough to do. I was once given uh, some advice, just such a simple phrase, but it's a profound application if you uh, apply it from a guy named Jer Swigert. He said simply this phrase, listen longer than feels comfortable. Listen longer than feels comfortable. If you will practice this simple idea, it will transform the way you view people around you. Listen longer than feels comfortable. And so I wonder in your life today, Whose story do you need to listen to? Whose story has God put around you and said, hey, listen to them? It doesn't mean you agree with them. Listen to them. Affirm them as a human, as a person that God deeply loves and wants to experience him. Whose story do you need to listen to? Maybe it's someone who voted differently than you. And, and you just, you don't have any space for that. And maybe God's saying, hey, listen longer than feels comfortable. Maybe it's someone with a different lifestyle than you. You don't understand. And you, you just can't, you can't create space for that. And maybe God's saying, hey, listen longer than feels comfortable. Maybe it's someone with a different version of Christianity than you. That they've applied it differently. They have a different understanding. You just look at them and go, that's, no, uh Listen longer than it feels comfortable. What would God do with us in these conversations if we would just be willing to listen? Because if you keep reading in, in, in Acts 10, the end of the story is something unbelievable that happens. And, and it truly is a game changer for the early church. I'm going to show you verses 44 and 45. After all this, it says this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, these are the insiders who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Even on the outsiders. The insiders are watching the outsiders become insiders. And they're going, what? The Holy Spirit is for them too? You can imagine this. And this is the scandal of Christianity. Unlike any other world religion, is that in Jesus, outsiders have an opportunity to become insiders. And for insiders, it always messes with us. It always rattles, ah, not them. Nope, not that person. No, nah, I'm not okay with that. It's the same thing Peter was dealing with, going, God, them? Even on them? You're gonna give your Holy Spirit to them? And you can imagine going, I just, I don't get it. And yet it happens when we listen. I want to close with a personal example in my life where I profoundly learned this lesson. We have five kids, and our littlest two we fostered and adopted in the state of Arizona. And uh, if you've ever been a part of that process, it is uh, part beautiful and part horrendous. I mean, it is just all of that wrapped up, and it is unlike anything else I've ever done. 
I remember with our three-year-old, when he was a little baby, we began the court proceedings for him where, all right, we're going to have to go, you know, stand up for him in court. And, and you know, all these different parties are battling for who ultimately is going to raise this child. And so he's living with us, but we have to then become his champions. We have to then, you know, be his voice because he needs someone to do it. And so I, I go to court and I'm, you know, I'm ready to geared up to go, hey, we're going to stand up for this little guy. We're going to do what we can do. And I remember learning, hey, his, his dad's going to be in court this, this time. And, and it was a, a big deal because his dad was in prison. And his dad had never met him. And so uh, they're going to bring him from one of the local prisons and they're going to bring him in just for this court session. And so I remember thinking, oh, man, I, I'm going to meet this guy. And, and to me, he was the stereotype of the bad guy. You know, he, he is the, the dad who cannot raise his kid. He has, you know, neglected him. He's in prison on top of that. You know, he, he just does not have value uh, like, like everyone else has value. And so I remember going to the courtroom and I, I just had all these feelings against him before I even got there, before I even saw him. I'm sitting in the back and everyone sits down and they wait till everyone's there. They're like, all right, we're going to bring in, you know, the prisoner now. And so they bring him in, and he's got the full prison attire. He had a mohawk. He had tattoos all up his face and his neck. And, I mean, he looked the part. He was everything, uh, you know, a, a movie villain would be. And he's handcuffed. He's handcuffed. His feet are cuffed. They're chained together. He's got a guard on each side of him as he shuffles in. And he's got just this kind of this look on his face. And I remember just glaring at him, going, it is me versus you. And, you know, one of us is going to be raising this child. One of, and it's like, it is all I could do to be against this guy. And, I, and you know, he sits down and, and I'm just watching him. So, I mean, there's other things happening, but it's just me and this guy as I have all of these things. I mean, my blood is boiling just being this close to him, watching him, all of these feelings. Then the, the court goes through different things. Well, one of the things they do is the judge will read to each one of the parents individually, essentially a document that lists their rights, but it also lists out what's on the line. So here's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, you're essentially going to lose your child. Judge does it with the mom, go through it. Then judge gets to the dad and begins to read this document. And I am just looking at this guy, I mean, lasers at him as I'm in the back, you know, just watching him. And then something weird happened. From my vantage point, I could see his hands, which are still cuffed, underneath the table. So he's sitting down, his hand, there's a table, his hands are underneath. Uh, and as the judge begins to read all this to him, his hands begin to shake. And as I watch, I realize this, this guy physically can't control his body. He's so overwhelmed by what the judge is saying to him that his, his body is just shaking in response to this. And I realize for the first time how humiliated this guy must be. He's coming in here to to be with a woman who he's not with anymore for a child he's never met and is about to lose rights to. He's shackled. He can't even be here on his own. And, and here the judge is now reading this to him in front of a room full of strangers. And so he sits there and he just keeps shaking. I feel like God just said to me, why are you looking at him like that? How dare you look at him? How dare you hate him? And I, I had all this emotion inside of me toward him. And, and I felt so justified to hate him. I felt so justified that he was the bad guy and I was the good guy and clearly God didn't care about him. And God just grabbed my heart and said, you don't get to think of him like that. You don't get to look at him like that. I love him. I remember that moment literally feeling like my insides are unraveling. 
Come on, I don't know what to feel anymore because now I'm realizing this is a child of God who, who has made some horrendous decisions and is living with the consequences of those decisions. But God deeply wants to be with him. God deeply wants him to experience him. And I didn't. I didn't want him to experience any of that. And I remember sitting in that moment, God so clearly saying, please see him the way I see him. Don't look at him with your eyes anymore because you're not seeing him accurately. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget what God did in my heart because I realized that's how I want to look at a lot of people. I want to start putting them in these categories and saying, I know who you are. I know what you're like. And God's going, I don't look at him like that. I don't see him like that. And as long as we continue to see him like that, we will never be the ones that God will use to transform their life. But as soon as we start saying, I'll listen, I'll be there, I'll see you as a person, I'll see you the way God sees you, I will go out of my comfort zone to have a conversation with you. God begins to use us to bring healing, to bring transformation. What would God do with a church that was willing to listen outside of our comfort zones? What would God do in our communities if we would just say, we'll be the ones to see you will be the ones to find value in you when no one else will. I think he would transform this place. I pray that he does it through people like us. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I confess on my own behalf and on behalf of us as a church that we have not loved people the way you love them. We have not seen people through your eyes God, it's so easy to listen to only the people we want to listen to. And there's a hurting world out there of people who desperately need to experience you. They desperately need to know you. God, use us. Use people like us who love you so passionately that we learn to love people outside of our comfort zone. God, we want to be a church that transforms this world through the power of Jesus. We pray that you would teach us how to do this in Jesus' name, amen.